0: All right, let's talk about Pride and Prejudice, Volume 2, Chapters 1 through 10. Now, we begin with the, the revelation that we kind of saw coming that there's no hope that Mr. Bingley will be back in the neighborhood. And so all of Jane's hopes for that relationship have been dashed. And we see how upset Elizabeth is by this. It says, you know, about her, both her concern for her sister and resentment. "'against all the others. Uh, "'To Caroline's assertion of her brother's being partial to Miss Darcy, "'she paid no credit. "'That he was really fond of Jane, "'she doubted no more than she had ever done, "'and much as she had always been disposed to like him, "'she could not think without without anger, hardly without contempt.' Of that easiness of temper, that want of proper resolution, which now made him the slave of his designing friends. So, this is the way that Elizabeth sees it: that uh, uh, Mister Bingley is uh, has been led astray by these these scheming, his scheming sisters, and of course by Mister Darcy. Uh, look at how Jane sees it, though. Uh, And uh, Elizabeth is sure that Mr. Bingley really loved Jane. Jane says, well, maybe not. If you look on the top of 95, we get this conversation between Elizabeth and Jane. Jane says, oh, that my dear mother had more command over herself. She can have no idea the pain she gives me by her continual reflections on him. But I will not repine. It cannot last long. He will be forgot, and we shall all be as we were before. So it's interesting that Jane understands that, you know, part of the reason that this didn't work is her, her mother, her mother was there talking about the, the, their plans for marriage before anything had really happened. And her other kind of uh, lack of social graces had been, uh, a, a hindrance to her, but she also says, well, you know, in time it'll, it'll pass. Um, you know, obviously he didn't like me and you know, that I'll, I'll get over it. And Elizabeth, uh, Replies, My dear Jane, you are too good. Your sweetness and disinterestedness are really angelic. I do not know what to say to you. I feel as if I have never done you justice or loved you as you deserve. So Elizabeth is genuinely impressed by how, how well Jane is taking all of this. And she tells her sister, There are few people whom I really love, and still fewer. Of whom I think well. The more I see of the world, the more I am dissatisfied with it, and every day confirms my belief of the inconsistency of all human characters, and of the little dependence that can be placed on the appearance of either merit or sense. Now, this is again the kind of darker, more cynical view that Elizabeth has here. And notice she makes the distinction of the, the few people who she loves and even fewer of whom she thinks well. So, you know, for example, she loves her mother, but she doesn't really think that well of her mother. But she's saying, Jane, she does love her and think well of her, but most people, no. Most people are in constant, it's, she's dissatisfied with that. And Jane comes back with her and says, uh, you know, don't let these feelings run away with you. They will ruin your happiness. You do not make allowance enough for difference of situation and temper. He's saying, you know, you, you see everything from your point of view, and you don't make allowance for how other people might feel. Other people might be different about things. But Jane and Elizabeth disagree about Mister Bingley's affection. Uh, Elizabeth strongly believes that Bingley really was falling in love with Jane, and. Jane actually doesn't want to believe that. If you look on the top of 97, uh, she says, I am not ashamed of having been mistaken, or at least it is slight. It is nothing in comparison of what I should feel in thinking ill of him or his sisters. Let me take it in the best light, in the light in which it may be understood. So Jane would really rather it be that uh, Bingley didn't love her because If Bingley did love her, and and Elizabeth is right, and they were led astray, then Jane's got to rethink her way of looking at the world, of looking at the the best of everything all the time. Um, Now, look at um, their father's reaction to this. He knows that Jane is upset, and he has a little conversation with Elizabeth about it. Mr. Bennett treated the matter differently. So, Lizzie. "'he said one day. "'Your sister is crossed in love, I find. "'I congratulate her. "'Next to being married, "'a girl likes to be crossed in love "'a little now and then. "'It is something to think uh, to think of "'and gives her a sort of distinction "'among her companions. "'When is your turn to come? "'You will hardly uh, bear to be long outdone by Jane. "'Now is your time. "'Here are officers enough in Meryton "'to disappoint all the young ladies in the country.' Let Wickham be your man, he is a pleasant fellow, and would jilt you credibly now, of course, as always, Mr. Bennett is kind of being sarcastic uh, here he's he's kind of a he's kind of a smart ass uh, but notice that there's really a kind of a lack of sympathy in mr bennett he he doesn't take the the these affairs these emotional affairs, these affairs of the heart very seriously, and he's kind of teasing uh Elizabeth, who is his favorite daughter, well, mate, you need to get crossed in love. Why don't you take up with Wickham? I'm sure he'll jilt you and disappoint you ha 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 um there's kind of in, in both of their the parents, Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, are inappropriate in some way uh Mrs. Bennett doesn't understand the social graces, and she is has this kind of singular obsession with getting the girls married. Mr. Bennett has a kind of a cold detachment from everything that doesn't take the, the, the real problems that his daughters have very seriously. Now, we see a contrast in that when we get the uh, the aunt and uncle who come to visit for Christmas, the gardeners. Um, uh, Mr. Gardner is uh, Mrs. Bennett's brother, uh, though this is in chapter 2, Uh, The narrator tells us that uh, Mr. Gardner was a sensible gentleman-like man, greatly superior to his sister, as well by nature as education. So we're saying they're they're brother and sister, but they're not alike. Uh, He's a much more substantial person. And Mrs. Gardner, who is uh, several years younger than Mrs. Bennett, uh, becomes a kind of a, a surrogate mother in this part of the book. Notice that it, it's Mrs. Gardner who takes pity on Jane and, and suggests, well, she could come back with us, back to London, and spend some time with us. Maybe that would help her get over uh, her her heartbreak. And she also tells Elizabeth to be uh, to be wary of Wickham. And remember, Mister uh, Mister Bennet just made a joke of it. You know, go you know go chase him, and he'll you'll get your heart broken too. Mrs. Bennett uh, would, would be pushing her to marry him, but Mrs. Gardner, her aunt, has a much more sensible advice for her. And she says, I would have, this is in chapter three, page 101, she says, I would have you be on your guard. Do not involve yourself or endeavor to involve him in an affection which the wants of fortune would make so very imprudent. I have nothing to say against him he is a most uh, interesting young man and if he had the fortune he ought to have i should think you should not could not do better but as it is you must not let your fancy run away with you you have sense and we all expect you to use it your father would depend on your resolution and good conduct i am sure you must not disappoint your father so here she again she's saying look he's a nice young man but he doesn't have any money he's joining the army because he doesn't have any money you don't have any money uh it would that would not be a marriage that would lead to much happiness for either of you uh he again he may be nice but you need to keep your head you're a sensible girl and you need to do this and elizabeth gives a a response to this she says at present i am not in uh love with mr wickham um And she's kind of evasive about this and kind of passes it off. But she leaves open the possibility, well, maybe. Um, And and we see here in several places in the novel that Elizabeth is very much, has a very romantic idea of relationships. That the, the practical considerations of money and fortune and social status don't matter as much to her. Uh, But still, but Mrs. Gardner understands that those are real concerns that she has to take into account. Uh, Again, she acts as a kind of a surrogate mother here in this part of the book. Uh, So she's going to take Jane to London, the the, the aunt and uncle. And uh, in the meantime, Charlotte is getting married to Mr. Collins and asks Elizabeth to promise to come and see her, which she doesn't really want to do, but she does promise to do that. Now, when Jane gets to London, uh, this is near the bottom of page 103, Jane had been a week in town without either seeing or hearing from Caroline, that's uh, Caroline Bingley, uh, Bingley's sister. She accounted for it, however, by supposing that her last letter to her friend from Longbourn had had by some accident been lost. Again, Jane is really going to cling to the, well, she must have lost, the the letter that I sent her telling I was coming to town uh, must have gotten lost. Well, it turns out, no, they finally do see each other. Uh, Carolyn Bingley is very cold to her. At the top of 104, it says that Jane could no longer be blind to Miss Bingley's inattention. So we see here that Jane is having her preconceptions challenged. You know, reality kind of, 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 of smacks her in the face, as reality tends to do. And she uh, she says, there's a letter that she sends to Elizabeth. says, I confess myself to have been entirely deceived in Miss Bingley's regard for me. And she also says near the, near the bottom of 104, if I were not afraid of judging harshly, I should be almost tempted to say that there is a strong appearance of duplicity in all of this. Again, Jane's really too good to be true. Yeah, Jane, they're they're deceiving you. So it turns out that Elizabeth was right, that the sister doesn't like her, uh, that she is kind of keeping them away, and that it's quite possible. In fact, it seems likely now that Mr. Bingley does like Jane, but they're being kept apart. Now... Elizabeth's uh, potential relationship with Wickham doesn't go anywhere because he stops paying attention to her. He starts uh, chasing after a Miss King, who we haven't really heard before. But the reason he's chasing after is the the sudden acquisition of 10,000 pounds was the most remarkable charm of the young lady. She's just inherited 10,000 pounds, and now she's become an eligible lady. So he's going after her and ignoring Elizabeth. Now in chapter 4 we get Elizabeth is going to leave and visit her friend Charlotte and Mr Collins uh, like she promised to do uh, and she'll spend a, a night in London with her aunt and uncle uh, as well. And look at the, the beginning of uh, chapter 4 page 106. So the only pain it's been saying she's she's quite happy to leave the family she doesn't really uh, enjoy her or, you know the, the company of her mother and uh he says but the only pain was in leaving her father, who would certainly miss her, and who, when it came to the point, so little liked her going, that he told her to write to write to him, and almost promised to answer her letter. Again, there's a nice little ironic thing: you've got to write me. And he was so his father was so moved, her father was so moved that he almost promised that he would write back. Man, that is serious. Uh. Now again we see Mrs Gardner acting as a as a wise counselor for Elizabeth. Uh about the she's talking about Wickham, about how Wickham has deserted uh Elizabeth. And Miss Gardner says, "But my dear Elizabeth," she added, "what sort of girl is Miss King? I should be sorry to think our friend mercenary." And Elizabeth replies, "Pray, my dear aunt, what is the difference in matrimonial affairs between the mercenary and the prudent motive? Where does discretion end and avarice begin? Last Christmas you were afraid of him marrying me because it would be imprudent, and now because he is trying to get a girl with only 10,000 pounds, you want to find him find out that he is mercenary? Uh, so she's saying, well, look, you can't have it both ways. You know, you can't say, I, I can't marry him because he's poor and then criticize him for wanting to marry a rich girl. Uh, so Elizabeth is very stubborn in her opinions, right? She's she decided that Wickham is a good guy. And so whatever he does, she's defending. Um, but again, Mrs. Gardner is forcing her to confront that, uh, that discrepancy in her thinking. Now, in, in Chapter 5, they uh, Elizabeth uh, arrives at the, the parsonage where Mr. Collins and Charlotte are now living. And we get the again, uh, Mr. Collins has not changed at all. He's still the very kind of pompous figure that we've seen before. And he says on uh, page 109, "'Elizabeth was prepared to see him in his glory, "'and she could not help fancying "'that in displaying the good proportion of his room,' its aspect and its furniture, he addressed himself particularly to her, as if wishing to make her feel what she had lost in refusing him. But though everything seemed neat and comfortable, she was not able to gratify him by any sign of repentance, and rather looked with wonder at her friend that she could have so cheerful an air with such a companion. So she still can't believe that uh, Charlotte is making a happy life here with Mr. Collins, Uh, Again, as as Jane told her, uh, Elizabeth is not good at making allowances for different people. While it's certainly true Elizabeth, I don't think, would ever have been for a moment happy married to Mr. Collins, Charlotte has found a way to do it. And actually the relationship between Charlotte and Mr. Collins is in many ways very similar to the relationship between Mr. and Mrs. Bennett to Elizabeth's mother and father. Uh, it just as there, there's one uh, much more sensible, much, uh, one much sillier partner, uh, but they found a way to accommodate each other, to live together. And now we're introduced to a character we've heard about but haven't seen before, uh, the uh, de Burghs. Uh Miss de Burgh, the, the daughter who Elizabeth has heard is, is going to be, is, is expected to be married to Mr. Darcy someday. day and her mother, uh, Lady Catherine de Bourgh. But Miss de Bourgh comes by in a carriage, and uh, she sees her, and she looks very pale and sickly. And notice on page 111, uh, Elizabeth says, "'I like her appearance,' said Elizabeth, struck with other ideas. "'She looks sickly and cross. "'Yes, she will do very well for him. "'She will make him a very proper wife.'" There's a kind of mean spiritedness in in Elizabeth, which I kind of like. Uh, she's thinking, "Oh, yeah, she looks she looks cross and sickly." I'm glad that Mr. Darcy's going to have to marry her, but Mr. Collins and his guests are invited to dine at Rosings at Lady Catherine's estate, and so here we meet Lady Catherine. This is in Chapter Six, page one thirteen. Lady Catherine was a tall, large woman with strongly marked features which might once have been handsome. Her air was not conciliating, nor was her manner of receiving them, such as to make her visitors forget the, their inferior rank. She was not rendered formidable by silence, but whenever whatever she said she was spoken in so authoritative a tone as marked her self-importance, and brought Mr. Wickham immediately to Elizabeth's mind— And from the observation of the day altogether, she believed Lady Catherine to be exactly what he had represented. So here is this kind of imperious, imposing figure. Um, And we also see uh, Miss de Bourgh, top of page 114, was pale and sickly. Her features, though not plain, were insignificant. Uh, Jane Austen is so great with these descriptions. You don't get a specific, you know, she doesn't tell about hair color and eye color and all that. But her features, though not plain, were insignificant. Uh, it's a beautiful description. And she spoke very little except in a low voice to Mrs. Jenkinson, her, her maid, her nurse, in, wh- in whose appearance there was nothing remarkable and who was entirely engaged in listening to what she said and placing a screen in the proper direction before her eyes. So she's being fussed over and nursed over all the time. Um... And Lady Catherine, we find out, uh, was always delivering her opinions on every subject in so decisive a manner as proved that she was not used to having her judgment controverted. Uh, it says, nothing was beneath this great lady's attention which could furnish her with an occasion of dictating to others. Uh, and we see this, uh, you know, very comically she's, when she's talking to Elizabeth. Uh, she asks, you know, do your sisters play and sing? Well, one of them does. Well, not all of you. All of you are supposed to. Do you draw? No, we don't draw. That's strange. Well, he, and he finds out you didn't have a governess. Well, that's ridiculous. Five girls without a governess. What's wrong with you? Um, and so she's uh, she's critical of every everything about their upbringing, um, and she asks. This is on one sixteen. Says, "Are any of your younger sisters out, Miss Bennett? Now, when uh, uh, coming out." Uh, ball was when a lady came out into society. It meant she was eligible to receive proposals of marriage. Uh, so it's an, very important in in this in this culture when uh, when a, a young lady comes out. And Elizabeth replies, "Yes, ma'am. All, all what? All five at once? Very odd." Um. So she doesn't like that either, and she actually doesn't like um uh, uh, and. Elizabeth comes back and says well that, you know why should the why should the younger girls have to wait to get married because the older girls haven't found someone to marry that's that wouldn't be fair to which lady catherine replies upon my word said her ladyship you give your opinion very decidedly for so young a person pray what is your age with three younger sisters grown up, replied Elizabeth, smiling, your ladyship can hardly expect me to own it. Lady Catherine seemed quite astonished at not receiving a direct answer, and Elizabeth suspected herself to be the first creature who would ever dare to trifle with so much dignified impertinence. Um, so we see, uh, we see here Elizabeth's character and uh, Lady Catherine's. One of the things that is so... Spectacular about Jane Austen is the way that she does this—the way she brings out these nuances of character in in these dialogue scenes. Uh, that Lady Catherine is used to not being—you know—has an opinion on everything and is used to having it accepted totally. And Elizabeth, she kind of likes—you know—she's uh, uh, a little bit of a rebel. Uh, She's not going to give in. It says that, you know, while she could see that her, you know, the other people were kind of intimidated by uh, Lady Catherine, Elizabeth really is not. Uh, She's going to stand up to her, uh, which, again, makes her a very charming heroine for the novel. Now, in Chapter 7, we discover that Mr. Darcy and his cousin, Colonel Fitzwilliam, are coming to visit Lady Catherine at her estate. Um, and we find out Colonel Fitzwilliam, he's a man of about 30, not handsome, but in person and address, most truly the gentleman. Now, this is set up, as as Jane Austen so often does, as a kind of contrast. His gentlemanly manners are very different from Mr. Darcy's standoffishness. Uh, though even here, uh, Elizabeth can't help but... Uh, 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 you know, getting some digs in, she finds out that they were in London, and she asks, uh, My eldest sister uh, has been in town these three months. Have you never happened to see her there? Um, She was perfectly sensible that they never had, but she wished to see whether he would betray any consciousness of what had passed between the Bingley's and Jane. And she thought he looked a little confused, as he answered, that he had never been so fortunate as to meet Miss Bennet. So Elizabeth is poking around trying to find out if if Colonel Fitzwilliam knows anything about the way that uh, uh, the the Bingley sisters have kept uh, uh, Bingley away from Jane. Now we learn in Chapter 8 that uh, Colonel Fitzwilliam uh, seems very pleased with Elizabeth's company. Um, It says Mrs. Collins' pretty friend, that is Elizabeth, had moreover caught his fancy very much. He now seated himself by her and talked so agreeably of Kent and Herefordshire, of, of, of traveling and staying at home, of new books and music, that Elizabeth had never been half so well entertained in that room before. So they're they're dining at Rosings again, and it's the first time she's had fun because there's a, a man there who is who is charming and, uh, and talkative and saying interesting things to her. Um, but of course... Lady Catherine has to interrupt that. She asks, you know, what are you talking about, she says, of music. Oh, I, of course, Lady Catherine is the great authority on music. You have to tell me what you're saying. And look at, she says, um, page 121, Lady Catherine says, I have told Miss Bennett several times that she will never play really well unless she practices more. "'And though Mrs. Collins has no instrument, she is very welcome, as I have often told her, to come to Rosings every day and play on the pianoforte in Mrs. Jenkinson's room. She would be in, in nobody's way, you know, in that part of the house.' Mr. Darcy looked a little ashamed of his aunt's ill-breeding, and made no answer. Now, that's a very significant moment there. First of all, we have these kind of insulting, you know, essentially, Lady Catherine has just insulted her. She doesn't know to play. Boy, she really needs some practice, and I've told her to come over, but uh, she doesn't do it. And Mr. Darcy realizes that Elizabeth has been insulted and is kind of embarrassed about it, his aunt's ill-breeding. Well, isn't that exactly the situation that Elizabeth has been in before, where she was embarrassed by her mother's ill-breeding? Uh, it's another one of the many little parallels that are, are created between Darcy and Elizabeth throughout the novel. Now, Elizabeth is asked to play for the uh, for the company again. This is this is how you would entertain yourself in this time. Remember, there's no radio or television, there's no internet, uh, so a lot of the entertainment was self-generated. If you know, everybody played music, and that's how you would inter- spend an, an evening's entertainment. And as Elizabeth is playing. Darcy comes by and he says um, that he uh, stationed himself so as to command a full view of the fair performer's countenance. Elizabeth saw what he was doing and at the first convenient pause turned to him with an arch smile and said, "'You mean to frighten me, Mr. Darcy, by coming all in all this state to hear me? "'But I will not be alarmed, though your sister does play so well.' There's, there is a stubbornness about me that never can bear to be frightened at the will of others. My courage always rises with every attempt to intimidate me. So Elizabeth is like, I, I, you're trying to, I know, your your sister plays a lot better than I do. Or you're about to say, but you're not going to intimidate me. And Darcy says, I shall not say that you were mistaken, he replied, because you could not really believe me to entertain any design of alarming you. And I've had the pleasure of your acquaintance long enough to know that you find great enjoyment in occasionally professing opinions which, are, which in fact, are not your own. Now, notice that he's really calling her on, on this, right? He's saying, uh, well, look, you know that I wouldn't do anything to try to intimidate you, and I'm not going to contradict you because I know you have this way of putting on opinions that aren't really yours to try to make a point. Um Elizabeth laughed heartily at this picture of herself and said to Colonel Fitzwilliam Your cousin will give me a very pretty notion of give will give you a very uh, pretty notion of me and teach you not to believe a word I say I am particularly unlucky in meeting with a person so well able to expose my real character in a part of the world where I had hoped to pass myself off with some degree of credit So Elizabeth is being very playful uh, at this point it goes on. Indeed, Mr. Darcy is so very unfor- ungenerous in you. It is so very ungenerous of you to mention all that you know to my disadvantage in Herefordshire, and give me leave to say, very impolitic too, for it is a- provoking me to retaliate. And such things may come out as will shock your relations to hear. I am not afraid of you," he said smilingly. Pray, let us hear what you have uh, have to accuse him of, cried Colonel Fitzwilliam. I should like to know how he behaves among strangers. And so Elizabeth goes on and says, well, when he came to our neighborhood, we had a ball and gentlemen were scarce and he only danced with four ladies the whole night. Can you imagine that? So she's she's poking fun at him. She's reminding him of this. And Darcy comes back and says, um, He says, I had not, at that time, the honor of knowing any lady in the the assembly beyond my own party. True, and nobody can ever be introduced in a ballroom. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and people never get introduced to one another in a ballroom. Um, Well, Colonel Fitzwilliam, what do I play next? My fingers wait your orders. Perhaps, said Darcy, I should have judged better had I sought an introduction, but I am ill-qualified to recommend myself to strangers. Shall we ask your cousin the reason of this, said Elizabeth, still addressing Colonel Fitzwilliam. No, no, she's talking to Fitzwilliam, but she's really having an argument with Darcy here. Shall we ask him why a man of sense and education who has lived in the world is ill-qualified to recommend himself to strangers? He said, really, You, you... are not able to go up in in a social situation and make introductions. I, I don't believe this, he says. I can answer your question, said Fitzwilliam, without applying to him. It is because he will not give himself the trouble. I certainly have not the talent which some people possess, said Darcy, of conversing easily with those I have never seen before. I cannot catch their tone of conversation or appear interested in their concerns, as I often see done. Elizabeth comes back to that. "'My fingers,' said Elizabeth, "'do not move over this instrument "'in the masterly manner which I see so many women's do. "'They have not the same force or rapidity "'and do not produce the same expression. "'But then I have always supposed it to be my own fault, "'because I would not take the trouble of practising. It is not that I do not believe my fingers as capable as any other woman's of, of of superior execution. Darcy smiled and said, "You are perfectly right. You have employed your time much better. No one admitted to the privilege of hearing you can think of uh, of think anything wanting. We neither of us perform to strangers. Now I've again I've gone into really read almost all of that there because it's a great example." of the way that you see that Darcy and Elizabeth are flirting with each other without flirting with each other. Uh, the, the kind of, of give and take, the back and forth that they're uh, giving uh, shows that they're really a match for each other. Uh, but Elizabeth, she isn't even aware that there's any attention here. We, we, the narrator has told us that Darcy is interested in Elizabeth, uh, but she is perfectly unaware of it. And that's part of the wonderful irony here. And that continues in the next chapter, in chapter 9, where Mr. Darcy comes to call at the house when no one is there except Elizabeth. Um, She tries to get on the subject of, you know, why they left Netherfield so suddenly and all that, but he's kind of nicely evasive about that. Um, It gets onto the subject of he's thinking of that... uh, uh, Charlotte and and Mr. Collins are, you know, well-matched, and he says, the bottom of 124, it must be very agreeable to her to be settled within so easy a distance of her own family and friends. An easy distance, do you call it? It is nearly 50 miles. And what is 50 miles of good road? Little more than half a day's journey. Yes, I call it a very easy distance. I should never have considered the distance as one of the advantages of the match, cried Elizabeth. I should never have said Mrs. Collins was settled near her family. It is proof of your own attachment to Herefordshire. Anything beyond the, the very neighborhood of Longbourn, I suppose, would appear far. Um, now, this is a very interesting thing because he also kind of gets upset. Uh, Darcy is upset. He says, you, you cannot have a right to such very strong local attachment. You cannot have been always at Longbourn. Why do you want you know? Why is this such an issue, Become such an issue to him? Well, because he's already thinking about proposing to Elizabeth, and he lives a long way away. He lives up in northern England, and if she thinks this is far away, um, that's that's very troubling to him. Now again, none of that is said directly, but you kind of read between the lines. Again, this is the kind of the craft that. Uh, Jane Austen has in these dialogue scenes, and after this incident, when uh, she's Elizabeth is talking about it with uh, with Charlotte. Charlotte says, "My dear Eliza, he must be in love with you, or he would never have called on us in such a fam- in this familiar way." And Elizabeth just poops. Oh well, that can't be. That's ridiculous. Uh, now Colonel Fitzwilliam comes a lot. This is the bottom of one twenty-five. Colonel Fitzwilliam came because he had pleasure in their society, a persuasion which, of course, recommended him still more. And Elizabeth was reminded by her own satisfaction in being with him as well as by his evident admiration of her as her former favorite, George Wickham. So she's saying she likes his company because he likes her the same way she liked being with Wickham. Well, then it says, but why Mr. Darcy came so often to the parsonage it was more difficult to understand. It could not be for society, for he frequently sat there 10 minutes together without opening his lips. And when he did speak, it seemed the effect of necessity rather than of choice. So yeah, why why is Darcy coming? He just comes here and he sits and doesn't say anything. Um, and we get another example. That, again, Elizabeth doesn't get it. You know, she doesn't realize why he's there. Look at the beginning of chapter 10. We get another example of this. More than once did Elizabeth, in her ramble within the park, more uh, uh, unexpectedly meet Mr. Darcy. She felt all the uh, uh, perverseness of the mischance that should bring him where no one else was brought, and to prevent it ever happening again, took care to inform him at first that it was a favorite haunt of hers. How it could never, uh, how it could occur a second time, therefore, was very odd. Yet it did, and even a third. It seemed like wilful ill nature or a voluntary penance, for on these occasions it was not merely a few formal inquiries and an awkward pause and then away, but he actually thought it necessary to turn back and walk with her. He never said a great deal nor did she give herself the the trouble of talking of, of or, or of listening much. But it struck her in the course of their third rencontre that he was asking some odd, unconnected questions about her pleasure in being at Hunsford, her love of solitary walks, and her opinion of Mr. and Mrs. Collins' happiness, and that in speaking of Rosings and uh, her not perfectly understanding the house, he seemed to expect that whenever she came to Kent again, she would be staying there, too. She'd be staying at Rosings, not with uh, with Mr. Collins and Charlotte. His words seemed to imply it. Could he have Colonel Fitzwilliam in his thoughts? She supposed, if he meant anything, he mu- uh, he must mean an allusion to what might arise in that quarter." Is it, what, why is he talking like the next time I'm here, I'm going to be staying in the big house at Rosings? Is, is he think that is is Fitzwilliam that uh, interested in me? I guess if I were married to him, I'd be staying there. Again, she is just completely clueless that Darcy is head over heels with her at this time. And that's why he keeps showing up whenever she's walking. When she's told him, this is where I like to walk. Well, imagine that. That's where he was always there waiting for her. And he didn't just be there and say hi. He walked with her, even though he didn't talk a lot. He's very shy. He doesn't. He's not big on that. But he's he's finding reasons to be with her. Now, she also happens to meet Fitzwilliam at uh, in one of her walks. And uh, she's asking him, this is the middle of page 127, Do you certainly leave Kent on Saturday, she said? Yes, if Darcy does not put it off again. Now, that's a really, again, that you can just pass over that, but look what that implies. Again, means that they were going to leave earlier, but Darcy wanted them to stay longer. Why? Well, there's a certain somebody he wants to be around. Um, he says, uh, but I am at his disposal. He arranges the business just as he pleases. Elizabeth replies, "'And if not able to please himself in the arrangement, "'he has at least great pleasure in the power of choice. "'I do not know anybody who seems more to enjoy "'the power of doing what he likes than Mr. Darcy.' "'He likes to have his own way very well,' "'replied Colonel Fitzwilliam. "'But so do we all. "'It is only that he has better means of having it "'than many others, because he is rich "'and many others are poor. "'I speak freely,' A younger son you know must be inured to self denial and dependence um so he's talking about the uh, uh yeah Darcy likes to have things his own way, he's kind of used to that he's a he's a rich guy he's always gotten things just his own way, and the conversation goes on it's very you know it's very pleasant here. we again get the topic of the importance of the finances in relationships um we find out, too, that Colonel Fitzwilliam is a, a guardian to Miss Darcy, Darcy's younger sister. But then we get a little, a little bombshell comes in, at the, starting at the bottom of 128. Uh, yes, I really believe Darcy does take care of him uh, in those uh, points where he, most, uh, where he most wants care. They're, they've been talking about Bingley. And says, yes, you know, Darcy is very, uh, really takes care of him. He says, from something that he told me in our journey hither, I have reason to think Bingley very much indebted to him. But I ought to beg his pardon, for I have no right to suppose that Bingley was the person meant. It was all conjecture. What is it you mean? It is a circumstance which Darcy, of course, would not wish to be generally known, because if it were to get round to the lady's family, it would be an unpleasant thing. You may depend upon my not mentioning it. And remember that I have not much reason for supposing it to be Bingley. What he told me was merely this, that he congratulated himself on having lately saved a friend from the inconvenience of a most imprudent marriage." but without mentioning names or any other particulars, and I only suspect it to be Bingley from believing him the kind of young man to get into scrapes of that sort, and from knowing, knowing them to have been together the whole of last summer. All right, so now Elizabeth has her, you know, she's getting confirmation. Darcy has been bragging about saving a friend from the inconvenience of a most imprudent marriage, and... Elizabeth figures. Oh, so it's Darcy who was doing this. He was the one who was really behind all this. On the top of one thirty, if his own it was if his own vanity, however, did not mislead him, he was the cause. His pride and caprice were the cause of all that Jane suffered, and still continued to suffer. He had ruined. For a a while, every hope of happiness for the most affectionate, generous heart in the world. And no one could say how lasting an evil he might have inflicted. So at this point in the novel, Elizabeth has had it with Darcy. Uh, She now has, uh, she believes, confirmation that Darcy broke up Jane and Bingley, uh, presumably because he doesn't like uh, Mrs. Bennett and the, the rest of the family that they're too poor uh, they're not his kind of people whatever it is and it's caused Jane real pain and and you know, made her miss out on something that could have been wonderful for her um, so her dislike of Darcy which has been growing since the moment she met him and he refused to dance with her has been growing and growing and now it's kind of at its absolute peak Uh And so this is, of course, the moment, and this is in the next uh, uh, section of the book that I'd like you to read, the rest of Volume 2. That's uh, Volume 2, Chapters 11 through 19, or if uh, just the straight chapter numbers would be Chapters 34 through 42. And what's going to happen at this point is that Darcy is going to make a proposal to Elizabeth. You can imagine how she's going to respond. Now, I want you to think about this moment. It's a very. This is really, in some ways, the turning point of the whole novel. Uh, we've already had Elizabeth refuse one proposal with Mr. Collins. Think about the ways that this is similar and different from that scene, how her refusal of Darcy is different from her refusal of Mr. Collins, uh, how his proposal is different from the proposal of Mr. Collins, and... Then we're going to get some uh, after effects of this. After uh, Elizabeth's refusal of him, Darcy is going to write her a letter. I want you to pay real attention to that letter. What does he tell her and why? And how does that begin to change how she thinks about things? Uh, it will change her opinions of a whole lot of things in the novel. And again, it's, it's a turning point. Uh, it, it's, uh, we begin to move towards the conclusion of, of the book with this section of the novel. So, for next time, we'll be looking uh, at chapters, volume 2, chapters 11 through 19. Uh, I thank you for your attention, and I will talk to you soon.